excited to jump back into the book of Numbers with you. If you have your Bibles or um, uh, an app or whatever you use to follow along, please do that. And uh, especially with this passage, uh, I want to remind everyone that um, you're not here to hear me speak. Right? We're here to hear the Lord speak. And He does speak through His Word. So that means if you listen to me speak and you don't follow along in the Bible, you're trusting me more than you should. So uh, download one <laughs> or uh, share with a neighbor or something like that. But I want you to be there with me in Numbers chapter 12. And I want to invite you to pray with me so that we can uh, ask the Lord to minister to our hearts together in this chapter of God's Word. Lord, we have sung Your Word, we've prayed Your Word, we've, we're, we're opening up to it now, to Numbers chapter 12. We want to encounter You there. Father, would You fill me with Your Spirit and humble me and make me smaller and allow Yourself to be the center of our attention. Help us, Lord, to understand what we need to understand. Help us to get clear on what we need to get clear on so that we can move forward as individuals, as a church, uh, in this journey we're on with you, Father. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Numbers is a book about a journey. Uh, those of you who've been with us in the series or just been around the Bible long enough, you remember uh, the story of Exodus where God uh, has his people in Egypt. They're enslaved for four centuries, long time, and in this desperation, thinking God has given up on them, he, he raises up Moses to deliver them, get them out, but they don't go from Egypt into the promised land, they go Egypt, wilderness journey, looking toward the promised land, and I've explained numerous times how that is, God designed it that way to serve as a picture for your journey, that if you're a Christian, you're a believer, and when you take communion, you're thanking God that he's rescued you from darkness. He's plucked you out of uh, slavery to sin. But we're not home yet. You know, we don't, you don't just pray a prayer, accept Christ, right? And then you just wake up, you're in heaven. We, we still live in a world surrounded by people that mostly aren't on this journey, that oftentimes are antagonistic toward you for being on this journey, and it's hard. It's a wilderness experience uh, on purpose. It is not easy to travel from point A to point B. And one of the tools that God has equipped us with, one of the things that God has provided us with on this journey, this has always been true, Old Testament, New Testament, is leaders. Leaders to speak to you about what God is saying. Leaders to speak to you about what God is demanding of you, asking of you. And throughout the journey, we experience conflict with leaders. And sometimes that conflict is well-deserved. Some leaders need to not be leaders anymore. I mean, we just can be really clear on that. Leaders should not be above being challenged or being questioned. Leaders are not perfect. Leaders are not Jesus. Moses wasn't Jesus either, as much as he prefigures him. Uh, and so, oftentimes, our hearts 
find it difficult to allow leaders to provide input into our lives because of past horrible leaders, past failed leaders. And after two or three failed leadership things, you begin to start questioning the value of leadership in your own life. And so you develop this sort of, uh, I don't know, uh, lone ranger kind of spirit where you're like, I have the Bible, I have what I need, I don't need leaders. Hopefully that's not you today, but if it is, uh, I hope that you would allow the Lord to point you in the direction of people that uh, can lead well and that can earn your trust. But some of us, it has nothing to do really with uh, failed leadership. Oftentimes what we see is just our hearts left alone, devoid of failed leadership or uh, feeling betrayed by leadership. Just in general, it's hard for us to follow a leader. And that's why when you hit those teenager years, you started arguing with your parents a lot more. Right? Because you started figuring out you know some things your parents don't know. Wait a minute, your parents don't know everything. Wait a minute, some other parents down the block don't do it this way. Wait a minute, when I go to school, all the families don't do it this way. Why are you doing it this way? And we start to develop an independent spirit, which is part of growing up. But we challenge, not because necessarily our parents fail us, but because it's hard to follow leadership. And we see that over and over in the book of Numbers. And as you turn to chapter 12, you might remember what we just came out of. The quails and the plague, you remember that? That started with complaints to the leadership. It was a complaint directly about God. He's got us out here in the wilderness. In Egypt, we had cuisine. In Egypt, we had food. There was veggies. We had meat. And out here, yeah, it's miraculous. We open the tent in the morning and there's manna on the ground. That's really cool. But the cool factor wore off a, you know, several months ago. And we make it into cakes and we shape it into cookies and we're just tired of it. You know, no matter what shape or form, it's still manna. We're tired of it. We're sick of it. And so God responded to that, uh, and you remember that uh, in the previous episode. Well, now we have another episode where Israel has a hard time with accepting the leadership that God has provided to them. And I think there's important lessons for us on our journey uh, and with our interaction with leadership. Look at me in verse 1 of chapter 12. It says, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Let's pause there for a second because there's some things there that we need to unpack and we don't know everything that we wish we might know about it. Who is this Cushite woman? You might be like, well, I thought he married a Midianite, Zipporah. Well, uh, if Midian is equated with Cushan, it could be Zipporah, or it could be another wife that he took, or it could be that Zipporah has died and he remarried after Zipporah's death. We don't, we don't know. And the text doesn't go into details. Why? Because that's not really the issue, is it? This isn't about whom you're supposed to marry whom you're not supposed to marry. This isn't really about Moses' marriage life, is it? Well, it's not really. That's the excuse to enter into the actual complaint because the actual complaint is God doesn't just speak through Moses. They're not saying Moses married the wrong kind of woman and therefore God must not speak to Moses. They're saying, sure, sure, God speaks to him, but he, hey, he's a human being. He doesn't do everything perfect. 
Here's one example, this Cushite woman thing. What's going on with that? See, we're, we're chopping Moses down to our level to propose that God speaks to us equally. So why is Moses leading? Why do we follow what Moses says? We don't have to follow what Moses says if God speaks to others of us as well. Now, this isn't like two bozos coming out of the, the back of the camp. You never heard of them. It's Aaron and Moses. They're siblings. Aaron is the high priest in the land. He goes places where no one else can go. He touches things no one else can touch. He ministers in ways no one else in the land can minister. And then back in Exodus 15, Miriam is called a prophetess. She preaches. She communicates God's word. What else is a prophetess? Prophets take what they receive from God and they speak it to other people. And so they aren't... uh, they aren't sort of imagining some kind of status. They do have a status. And they're not saying God doesn't speak through Moses. They're saying, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Listen, has he not spoken through us also? So by bringing Moses down and bringing themselves up, they're, they're not trying to eliminate Moses necessarily, but they're trying to even the playing field. And that's where it gets tricky. Because God can come in and respond and say, no, I don't speak to you, you liars. I only speak to Moses. And God doesn't say that. God never corrects them saying, I don't, I don't speak to you. In fact, if you remember just in the episode prior to this, Moses can't handle all the leadership by himself. You remember that? And he's like, I can't, this is crazy. So God takes his spirit and pours it out through other prophets that go through the camp prophesying, and then there was a complaint. Hey, these guys are prophesying, and Moses is like, hey, they're supposed to be doing that. So Moses has already established, I'm not the only prophet here. So it's true, isn't it? That it's not just Moses speaks, everyone shuts up, no one else can say anything, no one else can hear anything from God. That's not true. But they're not satisfied with their role And they're not satisfied with the thought that Moses can have more from God than they do. That Moses can know more about what God speaks, what God wants, than they do. Because they don't want a leader at the top. They want to flatten everything. We don't know specifically why. You might think, well, it's it's the Cushite woman thing. But really, that's an example That might be legitimate to them, but it's not legitimate to the Lord. If it were, the Lord would have taken care of that, wouldn't he? Listen to how the Lord responds. The Lord heard it, the end of verse 2. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. And so we see here, Moses doesn't come up and like, hey, you're challenging me? He's too meek for that. So God steps in and handles this challenge. Moses handled all the other challenges, didn't he? They complained about meat, and Moses takes it to the Lord. They complain about this or that, and, God, and Moses takes it to the Lord. This one, Moses stays out of it, and God speaks, and he steps in. But notice that the text is already explaining to you how Moses is different than Aaron and Miriam. Because they're not as meek as he is. If they were, they wouldn't be complaining like this. So the author is already giving you a hint like, they're like, hey, Moses isn't different than us. And it's like, yeah, he's really, he's really different. And it's not education. It's not status. It's not accomplishments. His resume as to why God speaks more with him than other people is because of his meekness. 
and it's humility. It says, now Moses was very meek. It could be translated humble. It's a dependence on the Lord. More than all people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and to Miriam, come out you three to the tent of meeting. You, ever, you remember your, your, your dad calling a meeting real quick? Hey, you three in my office. And you're like, oh, snap. All right, here's that moment. Okay? And in that moment, <clears throat> the three of them come out. And then verse 5, And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. So there's the three of them, and now out of the three of them, he's calling Aaron and Miriam to step forward, and he's going to have something to say to them. Verse 6, And he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord kindled against them, and he departed. So let's just unpack a couple things there, what's going on in this scenario. You will notice God doesn't say he doesn't speak to anybody else. What God does say is he speaks to Moses in a way that he doesn't speak to anybody else. Can other people hear from God? Yes. Do other people hear from God at the same level that, they, that Moses hears from God? No. Therefore, the conclusion is, you should follow Moses' lead. You should be careful to, to fall out of step with where Moses is stepping. If Moses has greater knowledge of what I want, I don't give it to him in dreams. I don't give it to him in visions. He sits there, and it's like we're face-to-face, two people talking. It's clearer than I give it to anybody else. And so where they are incorrect is the level of communication between God and Moses and the way they pose it. Doesn't God speak to other people also? Yes, he does speak to others also. But Moses is special. He's special because he's more humble than everybody else. We got that earlier. Then notice, God gives the reason. Why does he speak to him not in a dream? Why does he speak to him face to face? Why did God grant when Moses said, I want to see you? He's like, you're going to die if I do that, but I'll just put you in this rock and I'll pass by and you'll see my back, right? Why does Moses get that? Other people don't perceive the form of God. Well, he says it in verse, the end of verse 7. Not so my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. And God isn't saying, no one else is faithful at all. You might be like, what about Joshua? What about Caleb, right? It's not that no one else is faithful at all. What he means to say here is, in all my house and with all my things, he is the most faithful. And that is the reason why God communicates with Moses in a clearer way. Okay? So here's where Miriam and Aaron are wrong. They're wrong by assuming God either speaks to everybody or only speaks to some. And that's not true. They're not corrected on that. God speaks to other people besides Moses. What they're missing is that God speaks to Moses more clearly than others. And because of that, they should listen to Moses. Now, as we look at this passage 
we might be like, okay, God is just sort of correcting, oh, my bad, a misunderstanding. I didn't realize how communication worked with leadership. Oops, sorry. Oh, God's anger was kindled. And this is important. Look at what happens in response. Verse 10, when the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. I mean, not, not Hansen's disease, literal leprosy, but, but a skin disease where her skin is you know, white, flaky, or something like that. And Aaron turned toward Miriam. Now, here's the irony. We have, we have access to God. Interesting. When Miriam gets sick, she can't say anything. And then she turns to Aaron, and Aaron doesn't turn to God. I thought you had access to God. No, he turns to Moses, and Moses has to take it to God. Behold, she was leprous. Verse 11, and Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord. That's a change of language, probably. Do not punish us because we have done foolishly and have sinned. See, he gets it. Let her not be as one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. That's kind of like a a stillborn. Um, Not to be too uh, graphic there, but that's what he means by that. And then in verse 13, And Moses cried to the Lord, O God, please heal her, please. But the Lord, and this is kind of weird, but the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be shamed seven days Let her be shut outside the camp seven days, and after that she may be brought in again. So Miriam was shut outside the camp seven days, and the people did not set out on the march till Miriam was brought in again. After that, people set out from Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. I don't know what's going on with the the spit-in-the-face thing. Did did fathers actually do this? Go outside the camp. I I mean, I guess it must have been some kind of cultural thing that they were aware of that we're not aware of. It's not like it's spelled out in Leviticus somewhere. But there are cultural things going on that we don't quite understand. But God's point is if somebody is unclean, don't they have to go through a ritual? Doesn't the whole camp have to stop and wait for that person to get better, to come back in? That's what's going to go on here. I'm not going to just wave a wand and, and just like, okay, she's fine. We have to go through the due process here, and everybody's going to stop. The entire camp is going to stop marching. Aren't we supposed to be there by now, conquering this land? Yeah, we have to wait for Miriam now. Okay? The entire thing stops. The entire program stops. If you took out complaining from the book of Numbers, it'd be a lot shorter. Right? And so once again, we see the entire march stops. The entire people have to come to a halt as they wait for Miriam, who's outside the camp. And it hurts the camp. It hurts their progress. It hurts their movement. She's a prophetess. They're missing her ministry. And it all has to stop because she's afflicted with this disease. And the reason why she's afflicted with the disease, as Aaron puts it, is because they have done foolishly and they have sinned. What was the sin? Was the sin recognizing that God speaks to other people? No. Was the sin not recognizing that God speaks more to Moses? Closer. The sin was, I don't want to follow that guy. And God is like, but that's my guy. And that's the sin. The sin is using excuses in human leaders to actually not follow God's lead. And we need to be careful. We need to be careful pointing out flaws or what we presume to be flaws 
in human leadership that God has set in front of us that we should actually be following because they do have a bead on what God is saying. Not because they're perfect, but because they're ahead of us in some way. So let's connect this with the New Testament a little bit. Okay? We don't today depend on prophets to dream dreams and see visions. Uh, in fact, I don't want to turn the whole sermon into this uh, debate, right? Can God give a dream or a vision today? Personally, I believe yes. He's God. He can do what he wants. And I don't think it's correct to conclude from the Bible that God can't give a vision anymore or a dream anymore. Yet, if one of you comes to me and says, I was living life like this, but I'm not going to live life like that anymore because I was on YouTube and this guy had a dream, and the dream interpreted means that I can actually do this instead. I'm going to tell you, unsubscribe. Don't listen to that person with the dreams. Why? Well, the main reason why is because of what God's word that I'm holding in my hand that you hopefully have in your laps right now, what that represents. Okay? Moving from this time, Moses, perfect access or almost perfect access to the Father. Who has greater access to the Father? Jesus Christ. Moses perceives God's form. Who is God's form? Jesus Christ. Moses intercedes and mediates to cover the sins of the idiots that didn't want to follow. That's Jesus' literal ministry now, interceding for us so that we can follow. And so Moses doesn't prefigure pastors. Moses doesn't represent elders in the church, doesn't represent Bible study leaders. Moses represents Jesus. But what Jesus did was he set up a church based, founded on the teachings of the apostles. And then he provides churches with pastors, shepherds, teachers, evangelists that do what? Take the teachings of the apostles and the writings of the prophets in the Old Testament and use those to guide the people in the church, right? Now, do you have access to God's word? Yes, that's why you don't need a dream. Are you literate? Now, there are people around the world that aren't literate, that literally don't have Bibles, even if they were literate. In those scenarios, maybe God might leverage a dream or a vision. I don't know. That's not my context. My context is here. You have God's word right there, black and white. You don't need a dream. This is clearer than a dream. Now, some of what we have in here are dreams, and you're like, oh, what's going on there? <laughs> you know? And we need to interpret it, and it takes work. But we have access to what God speaks here. But so did they. God didn't say, Miriam, I never speak to you, you liar. He does speak to her. He just doesn't speak to her as clearly as he does with Moses. So if there's a principle that we can extrapolate from this episode, it is not, I don't think, that Moses was a leader. He heard from God. They're supposed to follow Moses. Pastor Lucas is your leader. I hear from God. You're supposed to follow Lucas. I think that is, A, too simplistic, and B, opens the door to a lot of problems. But on the other extreme, we don't want to go, there are no prophets anymore, therefore we don't have leaders, and no one has more access to God's, what God is speaking than I do, therefore I don't need leaders in my life. That is also not the takeaway here. What we have is a community where God spoke to prophets more than he spoke to regular people. He spoke to Moses more than he spoke to the other prophets. There's levels of knowledge of what God is saying. And if you ever open up the Bible and read it, 
and you wonder, I'm not exactly sure what that's saying. Or I hear some denominations take it and it means this, and some denominations take it and it means that. Which one is it? And you're not sure which one it is? You've, you're already bumping up against the limits of your knowledge. And I bump up against the limits of my knowledge every week, if not every day. I, I don't know everything that the Bible has to offer. I haven't figured out everything. But Christ has given the church teachers, prophets, shepherds, evangelists, for a reason. And leaders in the church are to be followed in so much as they are hearing clearly from God's word. I don't think the sin in this chapter was challenging Moses. I think it was the attitude behind the challenge. I mean, if they really had a question about the Cushite wife, could they approach Moses and be like, so I don't get it. How Zipporah feel about this? Or maybe it is Zipporah, and they're like, you know, we've waited a long time, and we've tolerated this for a long time, but I don't get it. Why did you marry this woman? I don't think they would have been, Miriam would have been struck with leprosy for asking the question and trying to figure out, wait a minute, what's, what's going on here? I want you to be better, Moses. I want you to be a leader that everyone can look up to, and this thing is weird. People are asking questions. How do we figure this out? Why didn't they do it that way? Because their heart was in the wrong place. I don't want a leader. I'm the leader. Sometimes I should be able to tell Moses what to do. Why should I have to follow Moses? That's an attitude that God is correcting here. Why is God correcting it? Not because he's so angry they don't love Moses. It's because God has chosen Moses, and by their refusal to follow Moses, without a legitimate complaint, they're refusing God's leadership in their life. When I look at this, it's very humbling to me. And I want to be really careful because the last thing I want you to walk away from is saying, I guess I'm supposed to, Lucas is saying we just have to listen to him. That's not true. But if I speak into your situation and you're like, eh, whatever Lucas thinks, maybe I shouldn't be here. If I'm not a little bit ahead from at least some of y'all, in some ways, that's fine. That's totally fine, but maybe I shouldn't be pastor. What is the point of an elder if they're not a little bit pushing a little bit ahead? And elders that are either here or listening online or whatever, that makes you like swallow a little bit? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know, exactly. Exactly. We do have to be careful. And we do have to read more and study more and meditate and be in prayer. Notice that Moses' qualifications wasn't a seminary degree. It was his meekness. It was his humility. And God is like, I can use a leader like that. So the last thing I want to do is stand up here and be like, I know stuff, follow me. Oh, not, not that. And I'm not going to stand up here and tell you I'm the meekest person in the land either. For sure not. But I think if we're going to read this and go, okay, how do our hearts struggle with the same kind of sin that's going on in Miriam and Aaron's heart so that we can avoid that, I do think we need to recognize there are people in our lives that might be a little bit ahead of us, that might have been listening to God speak to them a little bit longer, they've been in Scripture a little bit longer, and it doesn't mean they get everything right, but maybe they get things right a little more often than I do, I should listen to them. I think children need to operate that way with their parents. I think members need to operate that way with their leadership. And if there's failed leadership... There's reason why the Constitution isn't like one paragraph long. There's processes in there, and you can, 
you can off-ramp leaders that you're like, you know what? I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. But it should be from an attitude of wanting what's best for the church, not an attitude like, I don't follow people. Who's he? Who's he to lead? Right? There was a moment uh, in a doctor's office, and I was getting scheduled for a really minor surgery. There was nothing major to it. It was going to be a small incision. And I just asked the doctor, how are you going to stitch it up? Like dissolving stitches? What kind of, like, what are you going to, what sutures are you going to use? And the doctor was like, well, I'll, I'll just glue it. I was like, okay. <laughs> and so then I asked, I'm like, well, it is a spot where there's like some, some you know, hair, hair getting trapped in the glue. How does that work? I don't, I don't know how, how that works. And then he, 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 he paused what he was writing, and he just kind of looked at the corner of the ceiling for a second. He's like, yeah, you're right. We'll use sutures. And this is a well-respected doctor. I don't have a medical degree. I literally just asked the question. And then I said, hey, appreciate it, but I, you know, I'm not trying to challenge you. I was just a literal question. You know, I didn't, I didn't know. And he's like, no, it's, it's a good question, and I need to be challenged. I appreciate it. We'll go sutures. Okay. Now, that's a little snapshot, I think, of hopefully an approach where I'm not just going to assume because he has a degree on the wall that I can't ask questions, right? But I'm also not going to, hey, I was reading WebMD this morning, and you're an idiot, <laughs> right? Because then that would be stupid on my part. I don't have a medical degree. We read WebMD for, you know, 10 minutes and suddenly I think I know stuff, right? Nor do I want to sit there and go, he's a doctor, I guess I can't ask any questions, because then that doesn't make sense either. And I think a good doctor wouldn't be like, why are you asking me questions? Do you see these degrees on the wall? Do you, have you seen how many surgeries I've done? No, he's like, that's a good question, and I appreciate the challenge. I needed it, let's go the other way. I think that is just a snapshot of a good relationship, not just between patient and doctor, but between child and parent. I think children should be able to ask questions. You say this, but I'm not sure. That's different than high-handedly going, I hate you as a parent. I can't wait till I leave this house. No, I'm just asking, why, why is this, it seems inconsistent to me. You said this yesterday, and then today it's this. Can you clarify that for me? And I don't think parents should smash that and be like, I can't go to your room, I can't believe you dare ask. I'm your father, I'm your mother. Because this is not good leadership. Remember, good leadership begins with meekness, not lording education or age or title or role over the people. The best relationship between leaders and members in a congregation, in a family unit, in a nation, is when there's this interplay between understanding God is using this person not because they're so educated. God is using this person hopefully because they're godly. Right? They're after God's heart. And does that mean they're perfect? No, Moses wasn't perfect either. And then the leadership living out that meekness in how they lead. You notice Moses didn't jump up and be like, how dare you? God spoke into it. I think others in the community uh, could back that play today in the church. So as we look forward to how we operate as a church and we're surrounded by leadership fallouts, those celebrity pastors and evangelists on YouTube and then things come out and you're just so heartbroken, we don't want to allow that to, uh, to bring us to a place where we can't trust leaders in our lives anymore. And the reason why is because 
when we do that, we lose. Right? How does God get us through the wilderness? He uses leaders to do it. We saw that in Exodus with the, the sort of pyramid Jethro plan where uh, Moses trains levels of judges to help handle cases because Moses can't do it alone. And we see that throughout the book of Numbers as God's spirit is poured into other people that prophesy. And God does use Aaron and God does use Miriam. He just needs to get them on board with being able to follow others as well. A quick sign that your elders here uh, shouldn't be followed anymore is we don't listen to anybody else. When our ears are stopped and we don't ask other pastors what they're doing, we don't sit together and ask each other, what do you think? It's just my way or the highway thing? See, that's a problem. That's a danger. But what we're seeing here is Moses modeling a kind of meekness that not only do leaders need to exude and exemplify, but followers do as well. Because as followers of God, if we're meek and we're humble, we recognize, yeah, there might be some people in the congregation that know a little bit more than me. And here's another hint. They're not just officers in the church. You've got veteran Christians here that have been Christian for a long time. They're faithful, reading God's word on a daily basis. They investigate it. They pray over it. They're prayer warriors in the church. If that person, someone like that, has something to say, you should listen. It's not about title. It's about recognizing this wilderness journey is tough. If you were lost in the wilderness and you saw some person that had military experience, has served 30 years as a guide, they know how to make fire from you know, tree branches that are half wet and they're just experts, they know what plants to eat and not eat, it just would be dumb to not follow that person. Plain and simple. Hopefully in this church, you can begin as you have been here for a while, you start to recognize there are people in the church that are mature. And not everyone is mature, but there's a lot of mature people here. And as you recognize the people in the church that are mature, it behooves you to sit with them and listen to them. It's not just elders and, and deacons, but people who are a little bit ahead in the wilderness journey. When we don't listen and we, we just privatize our Christian experience and others can't talk to us because I have access to God's word, we end up outside the camp, we end up stalling the progress of the community, and literally we stall the progress of the church. When the church has fires to put out, Every time the church has to figure out, hey, that's not what we meant, this and that, and we're fixing like relational problems, that's inevitable. But the more of those things we have, the slower our progress in maturity and in the mission that God has put in front of us. So we want to be a church that asks questions. We want to be a church where you can come to the leaders and say, hey, I don't get it. And we want to be the kind of leaders that go, I love that you're asking that question. Let's talk about that. Let's unpack that. And we want to be the kind of leaders that can pivot and go, you know what? Look at the corner and, be, and the ceiling and be like, uh, you're right. We should probably do it this way. You're right. right. That inbuilt flexibility to recognize that I don't have all the answers all the time either. But if we're doing our role well, if by God's grace we're serving you humbly, we encourage you to recognize the people in the congregation that you can learn from and learn from them because it will go well with us when we follow people that God has been maturing in our lives. I want to invite the worship team to come forward, and as we prepare to sing, I want to say a prayer to prepare our hearts to do that. Father, we recognize that uh, none of us is perfect, and only Christ is uh, the ultimate fulfillment 
of what we see in Moses. But God, we thank you that Christ has graciously given the church people that we can learn from, people that we can listen to, that can uh, take a, a leadership position, whether by title or by influence. And we pray that we would have the meekness and the humility to, uh, to listen, because you do speak and you don't hide yourself. Uh, but it's hard to understand everything in your word. It takes time to learn it. And we want to learn from those who are a little bit ahead of us. Um, and that includes all of us, Father. As we sing this song, Lord, would you allow our hearts to resonate with the unity that you've brought to this church. And we pray that even later in our members meeting, that we would think about this delicate balance of humble leadership, humble membership, uh, both desiring to do what you're leading us to do, both desiring to do the best with what's in front of us. And if we have questions, help us to ask in humble ways and help us to learn together what you're demanding of us as we move through this wilderness journey that is difficult, arduous, hard, feels like it takes forever. God, energize us with your word and by your grace. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?